Hello and welcome to Neurospicy. I'm your host, Dr. Karen McLennan, a research psychologist specialising in neurodiversity. On this podcast, I'll be chatting with fantastic guests about their life and experiences of being neurodivergent or their work in the realm of neurodiversity. Okay, so today's guest, I'm a big fan of her work and I've had the absolute pleasure of working with her on various projects, is the super talented Emily, also known as 21 and Sensory. Hello, Emily. Hi, thank you so much for having me on your podcast. Oh, thank you so much for joining me. I'm really excited to be launching the first season with you. Yeah, I'm, I'm very honoured to be your first guest. <laughs> And um, before we get into it, could you please tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Um, yeah, so as you've already said, my name is Emily and I am an illustrator and a graphic designer and a podcaster. So I do a few things. Um, I have sensory processing disorder and I'm also autistic and dyslexic. And yeah, I just like to draw and discuss things online about being a sensory being, basically. So yeah, on social media, as you mentioned, I um, go by 21 and Sensory. Um, but yeah, that's kind of a little bit about me. And I do I do a lot of random creative things, but yeah, it's quite fun. <laughs> yeah, you do a lot of different <laughs> things. Like I feel like there's so many rooms where I'll be like, oh, do you, do you know 21 and Sensory? And they're like, yes, <laughs> either because of your podcast or because of your Instagram and anything else you might happen to be working on. So, um, I mean, even before we met, um, I had used your illustrations, obviously with credit in my PhD thesis, because I was like, yeah, you I know, think following you before. <laughs> yeah, I think I remember you reaching out being like, can I use this? And I was like, yeah, of course you can. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I'd be, as, as I said, I've been a big fan of your, your work for a while. So oh, um, thanks. Yeah. And so I think to really before we start delving into kind of the different things you do um, because I think it'd be amazing to talk about those in a bit more depth um I'd really like to start by asking you what your actual like what is the origin story for 21 and century like how did it begin I say it like it's a separate entity but yeah (laughs) you know what I mean obviously it came from you but like I'd really like to know a bit more about like where it all started and like what your motivations were for it yeah Um, So I guess I think it kind of started, it started when I was 21 in terms of actually the 21 sensory bit. So I was 21, (laughs) yeah, and essentially struggling sensory wise. So that's where the name comes from in case anyone wondered. Um, But I think I kind of knew from early kind of primary school that I had sensory issues going on and had seen um, an occupational therapist. and found that really helpful but obviously that kind of cuts off as soon as you become a kind of teen um and I was really struggling when I was 21 and I thought like going on the internet I'd be able to find like a bit of a sense of community but this was a while ago because I'm now 29 (laughs) um and yeah there was nothing really online that I could see myself in so it was a lot of kind of American and Canadian um, kind of blogs and things that were talking about children and toddlers with sensory issues which is great like you know can't knock it but I just didn't really see anything about these you know toddlers and children that had grown up (laughs) to become still sensory beings Um, so yeah I was like you know what I'm gonna I'm gonna start a blog and 
obviously just thought my age and being sensory was enough to go on and that's where the I went with the name um but yeah I just kind of thought I might just share my issues and kind of struggles I guess um online just to see if anyone else felt the same because I didn't really know I didn't really know anyone else that was you know so sensitive to the world and obviously I didn't have um an autism diagnosis then so I just felt very kind of I don't know sort of isolated I guess in that I felt that I was constantly having to kind of um I don't know bury how I felt and cover up the sensory issues I had um so yeah it started as a blog and then I think I started to do some drawings because um I studied graphic design at university and kind of always wanted to be a graphic designer um so I kind of almost naturally went into just kind of drawing kind of infographic style things and I don't know I wouldn't say educating but just kind of like informing from my own personal experience like how just my perspective on what the world is like um for me um and yeah I guess kind of after doing that a bit on my blog I started kind of on other social media platforms so like um Instagram because it was um at the time the like visual social media platform for photos and things yeah um so yeah that's kind of how it began <laughs> mm, it's interesting so it's it, you actually because obviously I I because I first engaged with your work via Instagram it mm. feels like oh that's obviously where it started because that's how my brain thought about that um, mm-hmm. but yes yeah, it's, it's uh, interesting that actually you did start with this kind of blog so it was it kind of that process of you know as you said trying to make sense of this for yourself um a little bit yeah. and but was that kind of the main motivator or was it that you or I mean or was it also the fact that you were like almost putting the feelers out to find connection and people yeah. who felt the same I think so I think I just wanted to see if there was anyone else out there that was also you know had grown up and still had the same issues because everything I kind of read online didn't really seem to think that these people grew up mm. <laughs> so I think also just you know just trying to exactly put out feelers and see if there was like a sense of community and I think that's kind of where my podcast started as well because Mm. I think I started that in 2017 and it was just me just like talking into my phone (laughs) it's nothing special (laughs) um but again I was trying to see if I could talk to people from different walks of life and see like um you know what their kind of lived experience was like and yeah just finding people with you know similar struggles makes you feel less alone it sounds bad like you're trying to seek out (laughs) people who feel what you feel but it does like the sense of community really helps I think Mm. yeah it makes it I mean it's I can imagine it's very validating like when you Mm. do meet people who experience something similar to what you experience going oh yeah okay like it you know validates that Mm -hmm. Yeah, is, exactly. In fact, there's nothing wrong with you. Yeah. <laughs> there are others. <laughs> yeah, literally. And that's, the, I think that's sometimes all you kind of need is that validation of like, you know, you're not alone. Um, okay, you might not know anyone in real everyday life, but you, mm. you know, you have like, I have some really lovely internet f- friends, including yourself, that yeah. like, <laughs> you know, from all different walks of life who, I don't know, have just gotten to know much better. And I feel like I wouldn't, you know, I might not have come across you and what you're doing or other people and what they're doing without that 
Yeah, no, that's wonderful. And um, so, yeah, your your podcast has been going since 2017. Then yeah. that's quite a quite a long time, and you've had some absolutely fantastic guests on it as well. Uh, I mean, you recently had Ella Maisie Purvis on from Heartstopper and a kind of spark. Is I that? did, yeah, and you've had. Dr. Camilla Pang, who's the author of one yeah. of my favourite autism books, um, Explaining Humans. And Holly Snell, who's the author of many books, but also the Geek Girl series. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you've ha- had some fascinating conversations. Um, yeah, yeah, I feel very lucky. I mean, I'm very lucky that people reply to my emails, <laughs> 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 number one. Um, but, yeah, I think people are just really lovely and really kind, and I've mm. found that pretty much everybody is keen to have a chat or just you know keen to share a little bit about their life or like their diagnoses and a lot of those diagnoses are late diagnoses so we have a lot to talk about Mm. um but yeah I think it's just people being really lovely and being like sure you know I'd love to chat about this like I feel like everyone is um everyone I've come across is very very open and very happy to like chat about things Mm. and I just I love people like info dumping on me about their life and their like special interests I find fascinating I'm like tell me tell me everything about this topic (laughs) and also being like how do you write book or how do you do you know I don't know comedy stand-up or Mm. you know what is your life like as a scientist or physician or something like there's Mm. so many different things that I would never know about unless you quiz people and it's really interesting to know you know just how other people live how what's life like for them so um for anything it's quite interesting for me <laughs> yes yeah definitely just being like so tell me everything I'm yeah. <laughs> here for it thank you very much mm. um yeah I love that firstly you have the most amazing voice for podcasting <laughs> thank you it's so kind every time I listen to your voice I'm always just like oh it's just so soothing which is great for somebody who talks about sensory experiences <laughs> to have and I think I even saw a review of your podcast where somebody was just like firstly you have the best voice <laughs> <laughs> I mean I, like you say I guess for the topic as well that is it's kind of helpful in a way you wouldn't want someone with a grating voice talking about you know sensory stuff maybe no exactly I think that's something that I have been called out for in the past for a TikTok video or something and someone was just like firstly the voice isn't great but it turns out it actually wasn't my voice it was the pitch of the microphone so that's that's fine I'll I take that people would say that like <laughs> the internet <laughs> the internet is a savage realm it really is <laughs> actually that's quite an interesting thing to uh pick up on because the you know obviously you put yourself out there anonymously Mm -hmm. um there's no kind of face to the name so to speak um what are your kind of feelings around that and like I'd really like to know about that a bit more intertwined with you know the fact that the internet can be a really savage realm and you Mm. know do you get kind of I don't know trolls and stuff as well like I I know it's kind of different but integrated questions um I guess I think the main reason that I was started out anonymous was because I guess apart from the sensory processing issues, I didn't really know who I was or what I was dealing with, I guess. Mm. And I was quite new to it. And I thought, you know what, this is kind of quite a private thing and I'm very aware of the internet and its issues. And I thought, you know what, it, it, let's just protect myself um, at this point. So mm. I started anonymous 
and then realized quite quickly that actually it was quite nice to be anonymous mm. because I don't I don't think like I feel like social media is a lot based on like appearances and how you look and how you speak obviously people know how I sound um but I just quite I quite like that it's my account isn't about that and also I'm not that confident in myself like being on camera and stuff like that which is I guess why I've kind of gravitated towards audio format because people you know you don't have to worry about people looking at you like you can yeah you can use your hands and etc um but I guess I think as a result of that also I don't have to deal with the sheer amount of trolls that other autistic creators and um kind of content um slash media people mm. have to um deal with um because I am anonymous and I feel like if people can't put a visual to me then it, it stops a bit of that hate in terms of you know kind of I don't know just like if people could see me they would maybe pick apart that stuff more but they can't so like you say I get comments on my voice but that's the only thing they can like latch onto kind of thing so yeah you I mean you're not giving them any ammo no, <laughs> you know, exactly. there's nothing for them to work with it's like all right what are you gonna throw at me and I think yeah that's a really interesting way of, of uh, like a comparative between people who are out there videos images etc I'd never thought about the fact by remaining anonymous you, there's nothing for people to pick apart I guess other than being like I don't like your work and you can be like cool don't engage yeah. with it then <laughs> yeah it's mainly the topic like mm. really that people like I guess if I talk about something that's a bit more kind of niche or it's it's you kind of have to be like this is my lived experience like I don't speak for everyone I don't speak for all autistic people um that is kind of the main place I would get any kind of comments but I feel like because I'm more I'm more on Instagram than I am on TikTok and I think a lot of autistic creators that I speak to say that TikTok is really you know bad for kind of trolling whereas Instagram is more a little bit more community and a little less um I don't know just kind of savage <laughs> it's, interesting yeah. yeah I never thought because I always think of TikTok as being quite a positive space just based on the videos that I see it's it's interesting to hear that actually that is a place where you're more likely to get trolls but I guess it's because you you get exposed to people's videos and you never yeah. see them again maybe like if you're not following them so it's quick just to throw out some shade mm. to somebody before moving on which is yeah and I think I've said that like on my podcast like with guests and stuff I've asked them about trolling and they've been like people think they know you based on a 30 second video when actually you know they're, they're a whole they're a whole person and they have a whole life and a whole family behind this like you're never going to get an essence of someone in you know 30 to 60 seconds yeah so. absolutely and it, yeah, yeah. It's, it's sadly it's the state of online social world is nowadays isn't it mm. a lot of a lot of judgment and not enough not enough love yeah exactly so if I can take you know <laughs> the visual out of it by just mm. having you know just just my voice then yeah that it opens me up to a little bit less so I think that's that's only a good thing <laughs> yeah no I completely that completely makes sense to me um is so how open are you about talking about 
your being autistic in like other spaces as well like do you find it like easy or difficult to dis- disclose I hate saying disclose but like you know yeah. to talk about <laughs> being an autistic person yeah it's tricky because I want to be more open about it but so I got my diagnosis when I was 25 and as I said I'm 29 now Mm. and I was three years into a job where I worked there for five years Mm -hmm. and I kind of ummed and about telling my manager and eventually did and she was like oh Emily it doesn't change anything and I was like but my whole like my my whole Mm. world has changed Mm. (laughs) Um, and I mean, not necessarily her fault, but she didn't know how to help me and didn't, there, there is no, was no training for that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I didn't tell anyone else and then decided that when I left, I would try and find a company that was kind of a little bit more inclusive or at least understanding. And in January last year, I started looking for kind of jobs mm-hmm. and then, um, started a new job in I think it was like June um and I did um disclose so it was like four or five rounds of interviews Mm -hmm. and I disclosed after I got a job offer because I didn't want it to affect their choice which I know is a really like terrible thing to say and you know I know that I have rights and (laughs) stuff like that but I still think I'd rather get an offer without them associating anything with me and then yeah. it'd be on my terms to be like, right, I just want you to know. Um, and they were really great about it. And my manager was really lovely and really um, helpful and kind of understood like how I worked and things like that. Um, yeah. And they had kind of um, like a, what do you call it? Kind of like a, I don't know, like a accommodations kind of plan where I could kind of put how I worked best or what a bad day looked like for me. And I was like, oh, this is amazing. Um but unfortunately, I got made redundant from that job <laughs> after six months. Oh. Um, so that was a shame. But it was really nice to have seen that in a company because I've never seen that before. Mm. Um, yeah. So I think like with my next job, it's hard to know whether or not to say like I'm starting somewhere that's a small company. So I'm going to see how it goes. But I want to be able to be more open because I do think like I think it is an asset to companies like the way that I and other autistic people and neurodivergent people in general um like the kind of thoughts and the way that we approach things I think Mm. is really valuable and I think companies coming around to the idea slowly yeah Um, but yeah in terms of work I find it it's tricky to disclose because I don't know I feel like a diagnosis is it's kind of a private thing it's not a medical thing but it feels maybe a little bit almost you know it's health related almost so you never really know you don't want to be too much kind of thing um so yeah um but I'd say kind of like in personal circumstances like circumstances and stuff like that like I don't I have like obviously my family know and I have a friend who is going to be on my podcast soon who um recently got an autism diagnosis but other than that nobody else in my life knows um so yeah I don't really I don't really have kind of a best friend or a group of friends kind of thing um so I guess maybe if I was 
to maybe I would kind of at some point but yeah even after um my um autism diagnosis I didn't really tell anyone like any colleagues at work or anything like that um because I think I was just worried that it would change people's opinion on me and it absolutely shouldn't but there's that fear (laughs) I can't not have it (laughs) No, absolutely. And I guess like, you know, if, if the rhetoric and the, the, the way that we mm. hear autism talked about kind of across society in different, you know, ways, although it is getting better, you still do hear a lot of people holding these very mm-hmm. stereotype, stigmatizing views of what an autistic person is and I can see how it must be quite almost feel like Russian roulette putting it out there to be like are you the person who's just going to be like I don't really know what this means but okay I'm accepting like cool are you going to be somebody who's got these kinds of really stigmatizing views and are going Mm. to suddenly think very differently of me um Mm -hmm. and I think also like I had done so many like pros and cons lists of like telling this person or telling like my manager like I remember doing a pros and cons list like and showing it to my mum and being like what do you think I'm like is it worth is it worth me to like what am I gonna am I gonna gain anything or is this news just gonna spread um and it's it's my it's 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 not news but it's my thing to choose whether or not to spread and I remember asking my manager not to tell anyone and I don't know if she did um but I didn't want HR to kind of know and one of the reasons that I um left that first company after five years was because they wouldn't promote me because I wouldn't I couldn't tick one thing on the next like senior level which is leadership skills but I didn't want to be a manager or a leader I just wanted to be a senior graphic designer because I was a graphic designer there um but she was like, you just, you, you can't tick this. She was like, your thinking is too black and white. And I just looked at her and I was like, but I have, I, I have told you that I'm autistic and like, that's, that's not, my thinking isn't going to change. <laughs> like at that point I was like 26 or 27. I was like, this, this is me. This is, this is the whole package. <laughs> this is my brain um, by the way. Yeah, um... Literally. Wow. And I was like, I was like, I, I know I think in black and white, but I think that's a good thing you know it's quite logical um thinking um but she was like yeah like you just don't essentially you just don't take this box and I was like brilliant so I've worked here for five years and I can't I can't get any higher or progress anymore (laughs) wow and the inflexible thinking of neurotypical people (laughs) yeah I know and I got really upset. Like I was like, it, this was like almost like a peer review, like feedback kind of session. And I got really upset in front of her. Like there's nothing I can do to change that. You know, that's not career feedback. It's not, you can't do your job because I was doing my job and mm. I felt I was doing it well. Um, and there was nothing wrong with my design work. They were really happy with it. It was yeah. just that I couldn't, you know, speak up for myself in a kind of leadership way. I was like, I don't want to be a leader I don't want to be a manager ever <laughs> yeah wow so, that's really limiting so yeah. I can see why it just felt like a bit of a personal attack rather than a career kind of mm. steering chat <laughs> yeah that really is 
a horrible example of kind of you know how the world is quite largely set up for one type of person yeah. <laughs> and one type of brain and it, yeah the inflexibility if you bring it's like oh you're amazing you bring all these exceptional skills but yeah <laughs> you can't tick all of our neurotypical based boxes sorry <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm like why why do I need why is that box even there like surely that should be an optional box like sure mm. if I want to go off and be a manager I get that I don't mm. <laughs> like if I'm doing my job well is that not enough yeah you're like I want to be a yeah senior graphic designer yeah <laughs> I don't want to manage people no, what? <laughs> exactly I just like and at that point I was maybe six years into my career as a graphic designer so mm-hmm. you know even to be kind of middleweight to senior kind of thing would have been mm-hmm. nice but yeah that's why I started looking <laughs> yeah I really don't blame you and it's it sounds amazing that you found somewhere that seems like it had a different set of boxes but yeah it's yeah. a shame obviously you know but yeah I don't yeah. I don't blame people for not kind of saying at the start that you know they might be autistic or stuff like that because you just don't know you just mm. you don't there is no blanket kind of you know feeling towards how employers can help autistic people and yeah actually if you're put up against another candidate you know you, it, obviously they should be totally unbiased but I just mm. doubt that a lot <laughs> um I mean yeah it's like how it's still people making decisions yeah. and it's and a lot of this is just like deep down bias that yeah. they probably aren't even aware of and you can't you know obviously there's things in place to make sure that people aren't biased but it's yeah. still a, it's still a recruit person recruiting mm-hmm. marketing criteria and if it's neck and neck they can take into account tidy things that also get one way yeah. or the other and it is terrifying to think that some of those things might be oh yeah but you know there might be extra challenges with you know taking on an autistic person versus someone who's not like if they don't know you know mm. and that's horrible to think that that could be the case it is and especially like for me having like I had to like get a new job a couple of times now um having to go through I don't know why for the design jobs it's like four or five rounds of interviews and that's a lot for <laughs> so anyone <laughs> I think I remember talking to you about it just being like this is ridiculous oh yeah that was eye-opening for me yeah. I was just like <laughs> honestly you have it's to, just yeah. it's ridiculous like you have to prove you can be able to design as a designer a lot of the time mm. so they set you a design task um so you have a pre-interview you do a design task you then present the design task and then you do have another one-on-one interview and then sometimes a CEO interview. So that's five rounds of interview and you can still get pipped to the the post at the last one, which is what I've had happen. They've been like, we went with someone else. That's a lot of investment (laughs) to put in to the job searching process when you're like, yeah, go through all of that. And then right at the end, they could be like, oh yeah, sorry. Yeah. (laughs) And also like, luckily, like a lot of this was done online because kind of after the pandemic, um, so that did suit me. But if I hadn't been working from home, I wouldn't have been able to interview for that amount, you know, like five hours kind of worth of. Gosh, yeah. And then the design task takes me, you know, half a day, a day. <laughs> so that's basically like free labor. It's like. it free labor. You're not wrong. <laughs> that is intense. Yeah. Wow. It is a bit mad. Um, so, yeah, just 
I'm probably putting everyone off a design career. It is good apart from this. <laughs> um, I was, yeah, I was going to say, if you love what you do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It is, you know, it can be worth it sometimes. Um, but yeah, it is. It, it takes a lot out of anyone, let alone, you know, an autistic person who might get stressed with, you know, the constant demands. And yeah, and I guess if they're not communicating these expectations, yeah, or like, you yeah. know, if they don't have a... A recruitment process that is set up for neurodivergent people mm. then that is like an like uphill struggle yeah. really already so I just yeah it really worries me when you hear things like that and you're like how many people does this like mean that they can't access that yeah <laughs> and also you know and the fact that I was against someone else or maybe a few other people that's mm. a lot of people going through a, a large amount of rounds of doing something thinking they might be the only person in the running so yeah yeah it is a bit bit ridiculous but yeah wow I mean that is a fascinating insight into the 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 realm of working in graphic design yeah and troubling (laughs) yes it's like yeah uh, there's a lot of concern there Mm. Uh, as there usually is when thinking about recruitment processes because I just I really think a lot of them are just even just interviews Oh, in yeah. general and what they you know <laughs> grade you on or are considering it's like oh is this person personable and mm-hmm. you know that could immediately be like this person could be exceptional in this role but they I don't know didn't quite look me in the eye as much as I would have liked well, that's, so yeah that's the thing as well like I have this I've kind of talked about it before I have this like constant mm-hmm. internal like autistic monologue I call it mm-hmm. so it will be constantly being like oh you should probably look at them for a little bit oh look away for a bit and then look mm. back to like I've got you know autistic people might have that going on and also be in an interview situation like oh trying, God, yeah, trying to answer questions yeah trying to answer time. questions but also be like have I looked at this person too long is it creepy like mm. <laughs> what? it's just a lot for your brain to like filter so yeah I don't I don't know what the answer to this is but it's tricky <laughs> <laughs> I know let's just keep trying and pushing for yeah. them to do it differently and I do I do see like things are yeah, shifting definitely. but yeah it's yeah I really feel for you having to go through <laughs> that many interviews oh I my know. god kind of I guess related to this but changing subject slightly is um obviously like you um uh, outlined at the beginning that you're someone who's multiply neurodivergent so like Obviously, you talked about when you kind of at 21, realizing um, more about like your sensory challenges and then later um, getting a autism diagnosis. Mm -hmm. But kind of pre that, obviously, you mentioned that you're dyslexic as well. Um, And what kind of stages in your life did you was it kind of really apparent that you obviously now in hindsight might have been neurodivergent? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think, I think like even from a baby, my parents were like, you are so like averse to so many different forms of clothing and wouldn't wear socks and stuff like that. So I almost feel like from, mm. the, from the start I was, but yeah. I think um, when I actually had my autism assessment, the lady was like, basically you were just born at the wrong point for it to be a thing. Like mm. she, she was like, you know, it wasn't really seen as a girl thing and mm-hmm. you're just you're just unlucky basically because I think mm. my mum felt a little bit guilty about 
having kind of you know missed it or you know just kind of thinking it was sensory issues which obviously it is but it does it really is autism (laughs) Um, but yeah I think that was um quite tricky um but yeah I think I think I knew from like I think my parents knew as well from a very early age at primary school that I was struggling um um just with the everyday kind of school routine and the environment um and I think they paid for me to see an educational psychologist who was then like I think she needs occupational therapy um so that did help like desensitize me because I used to not be able to brush my hair or brush my teeth um which are kind of you know (laughs) things that um are important in life um but yeah I think I just didn't know that it was a thing basically that's it and my mum didn't know like (laughs) we just didn't know yeah so I so those kinds of it was the sensory challenges then that were kind of oh this she's struggling with these things and then that was kind of supported but obviously you know as you said at the time you know girls weren't autistic so yeah (laughs) literally that (laughs) that would have I mean did did that ever get floated at any point and then dismissed or was it literally just not really I think um I think kind of one of the reasons I remember my mum saying that um because I have an adopted brother and he is um autistic and my mum started to read more into kind of autism and stuff like that and she realized that actually a lot of the stuff like she was reading she was like oh that's not your brother but it is Emily (laughs) so so I think she was she maybe um kind of I mean, I think she was reading kind of sensory stuff. Like, I'm very sensory defensive, whereas my brother is very sensory seeking. Um, So I think she could see, you know, not necessarily like it correlating to autism, but could see that actually, oh, some of this sounds really like Emily, like not not your brother. Um, So that was quite interesting. And I think maybe from there that kind of, I don't know, stemmed more. Um, But I think it was only at the age of 25 when I I was basically paying for private therapy mm-hmm. and the lady told me that she couldn't take me any further because I was displaying some autistic traits and that I needed to go to my GP. So that was nice. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> so, is that the delivery? That, that literally was the delivery. Oh my God. Yeah. She was like, you're, you're displaying autistic traits and I don't think I can take you any further. I was like, I'm a person, not like oh like, cool uh, it's like yeah like a hot potato yeah literally like, like oh, let's no. pass this on and yeah like, wow paying oh for private therapy because yeah. i couldn't find you know a therapist who had the kind of sensory background which i now realize needed to be an autism background yeah. um but yeah so i was like great so <laughs> i'd spent you know you know money on having this therapy over a while and then she just came to that conclusion so i was like oh I just feel like I couldn't be helped, which yeah. is a bit rubbish. Um, so yeah, that's when I did go to my GP. Um, but yeah, if it hadn't if it hadn't been for her saying that, I remember going home and talking to my yeah. parents and being like, "She said this," and they were like, "What?" <laughs> like exactly like you were. Um, yeah. So I just I kind of just felt like, oh, I should probably do what I'm told and just see. Um, so yeah, 
went to my GP. <laughs> wow, interesting. When she said that to you, I mm. mean, bar the fact that <laughs> having a therapist say anything of that type to talk to you is just uh, quite astounding. Mm. But like the, the fact that she was just like basically saying, I think you might be autistic. Yeah. How did, what was the, the actual response to that? Was that like, are you, you know, were you like surprised or were you like, are you joking or were you like, yeah, fair? Or like... I don't know. I think in the moment I was quite upset because I was probably focusing more on the fact that I wasn't going to have any one to talk to anymore because it <laughs> <Yeah>. was an ending <laughs> and because it was yeah. change, which I didn't know again is an autistic mm. thing being terrible with change and transitions. So yeah. I think I was more upset about that. But when I spoke to my parents about it, my mom was like, I can see why she thinks that. Like, I can see that in you kind of thing. Mm. So I probably, I, I'm kind of a bit like that where I would rely on, you know, my mum or someone else to kind mm. of put it back to me almost because I don't really, I don't process things yeah, I was gonna say, as I like happen. Yeah, processing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, it will take me days or weeks to, like, for something to actually process Mm. and settle down within me kind of thing so mm. that was quite helpful and then I just thought you know I should probably you know do what I was told to do so that's why I did it um mm. but yeah I think I don't know that I was I don't I don't think I I knew if it was me or not I didn't mm. know if you know that that is what would explain me so mm-hmm. I think I was keen to just see um, but I don't think I was particularly shocked or surprised mm. because I didn't I just didn't really know that much about it in the context of girls especially um, yeah fair. which I see like a lot of other people talking about being like you know I didn't think I was autistic because I don't do you know this typical boy mm. presentation <laughs> thing or like <laughs> yeah um but yeah it's so different for girls but yeah mm. so yeah it was it was an odd way of coming about it. yeah that is um I'm just a bit shocked to be honest but I don't know <laughs> I, I, I've heard a lot of you know stories that kind of align with this yeah. in similarity but yeah I don't know, it's still the silver ever feel shocked by it mm-hmm. um I guess but obviously fast forward to you then being diagnosed mm-hmm. did ha, like was it after your diagnosis that you then started really being like okay what does this mean now and like or were you kind of already in pre-diagnosis like waiting for your diagnosis to happen I don't know I think like almost I felt like after my diagnosis like oh I I now have another thing to to talk about online kind of thing like I now Mm. there's this whole bit of me or my whole life that I didn't know about me and now I'm almost valid to be able to draw about it and do like and obviously I'm very much an advocate for like self-diagnosis and Uh it's very um valid but I almost felt like this confirmed that um so it did help me to be like you know like I have this thing this is my perspective having not known (laughs) that I have this thing um so yeah I think that was quite interesting I think I think also I felt like when I came out of the assessment that I don't know that the world might change a little bit because I knew this about myself and it really mm. doesn't yeah. <laughs> um, it should but it doesn't um, yeah, fair. because I don't know you feel like I just kind of felt like something had been kept from me like I wasn't in the loop mm. and now I was but I'm 25 and I feel like 
a lot of damage has been done um like mentally you know and kind of emotionally just not knowing this about myself so but I mean I I say that I'm late diagnosed at 25 but I've spoken to people who are 40 50 60 who only just find out and I just think you know to find out at the age of 50 half like you know halfway really through your life Mm. that this this is you I can't imagine how difficult that would be and I was I'm almost lucky that 25 you know I do know it but the, yeah. you know I'm way past education and everything like that so I was gonna say uh, you know the way that the education system is set up really not to support neurodivergent people mm. I yeah I, I always feel like if people have been through school like the impact of that and the lack of support and the lack of you know knowing mm-hmm. <laughs> about yourself in that way can just yeah it's it's too late mm-hmm. <laughs> really um but yeah I, I completely appreciate you know that as you said there are people who are, are never finding out slash finding out so late in life mm. and you just think wow they have gone their entire life yeah not knowing this and probably being made to feel like they're wrong mm-hmm. which is just mortifying mm-hmm. and I had kind of that same experience like finding out I was dyslexic it was only mm. because I think I was on a yeah I was on an art foundation course at uni before doing mm-hmm. my degree and they had like this uni-wide initiative of like um doing an initial like dyslexia questionnaire for everyone and me and the girl next to me did it and the day we got our results back we were like oh my god <laughs> like oh, like gosh. they were like they were like we think you should come in because it was like a very initial kind of thing and I was like oh they think I should go in and I looked at her she was like they think I should go in too I was like oh my god um wow. so I think the uni which was lucky they paid like half towards the assessment mm-hmm. um because I think the assessment was like 300 pounds and they paid half and I had to pay half um but it did get me obviously I found out I was dyslexic at the age of 19 and um it did help me in terms of having like a tutor for essays and things and having like DSA help at the time um so that was kind of some form of disability support at university um and that followed me like through my degree because I stayed at the same university so that was quite Mm. helpful um because it is just good to have someone to look at your work that isn't you know the lecturer or the course leader it's mm-hmm. you know someone impartial <laughs> yes yeah um, absolutely yeah so that was quite helpful but if they had never run that scheme I'd never have known yeah wow and you just think about I mean you must have been employing some amazing <laughs> self-initiated strategies to be able to yeah. overcome challenges and yeah I, I mean did that really open your eyes to be like oh that sets out like I'm working so much harder to do these things that I thought everybody else was maybe experiencing is that kind of how that felt yeah it did and I kind of felt like I didn't realize that I was doing these workarounds and also Mm. I think as well that I might be like dyscalculic which is kind of the maths Mm. side of dyslexia I guess um because I struggle so much with maths I can't really do even basic maths Mm. um so yeah it was quite interesting to just I don't know come to that realization eventually and yeah I think it's just kind of tricky to again be handed this thing and be like yep (laughs) um Mm. 
and it's just frustrating as well to have not known about it sooner especially you know um having sat GCSEs and A-levels and not known mm-hmm. um yeah luckily I had extra time in my exams because the school acknowledged that I had like processing issues um oh, okay. so I used to get 25% extra time uh okay. luckily because I used yeah. to use every second of it um but yeah I think you know I might have been able to have you know a I don't know maybe a teaching assistant or just a tutor to check in with mm. kind of thing because I'd spend a lot of time just sat up in the Senko's office upset which is <laughs> not the best best way to uh use your um break times but anyway um yeah <laughs> it's true it's tricky I just feel like at random intervals in my life it's like oh here's the thing yeah wow oh my gosh that's so yeah I mean I think people at the moment are obviously talking about the pros and cons of doing these kinds of more general dyslexia screenings and stuff and yeah. I feel like your story is a good <laughs> well like, yeah um this is maybe why we should do that I don't I don't yeah. know especially if like the, the understanding and teachers and, and people are, to be able just to recognize it in their students mm-hmm. is maybe lacking through no fault of their own there's a lot of things that they need to juggle teachers and uh, you know other school stuff but yeah it sounds like that was quite a helpful thing that they did yeah and I think also people associate it with like spelling and lettering and words and stuff and it's not just about that it's about like sequencing and processing and pattern recognition and all this Mm. and I'm just terrible at all those um Mm. so (laughs) you kind of you know uh, I can see how it might go under the radar and I think also just generally all these things are late diagnosed in me because I was well behaved I was quiet mm. I wasn't any trouble and there was no reason to you know poke me and see what you know issues I might have had I just very much went under the radar I didn't want to mm. stand out at all and I think that didn't help <laughs> yeah I think that's definitely something that we see a lot is it's if a child isn't being disruptive and making it difficult for the teaching staff then it could be just be like, oh, but they're so good. Yeah. They're so well behaved. Yeah, they you're not an issue. <laughs> they're not an issue. What's the, they're not an issue to me. So what's the issue? And it's yeah. like, they, you know, just no recognition of what's going on under the surface for that child. Yeah. And like, how much harder they have to work than everybody else, how much more distressed they are that they're just not showing you. And like, yeah, I definitely can see how that happens. Um, and then, yeah, as you said, they you know, just fly under the radar. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, I feel like we've really delved into <laughs> unpacking a lot of the challenges that you've gone through as an neurodivergent <laughs> person. Um, maybe we should flip it now to thinking about some of the <laughs> joys and the things that you really feel like are strengths. Like, you know, obviously it's um, difficult to unpack the difference between you and, you and the neurodivergence. But I mean, you know, what do you see as the kind of things that have really benefited beneficial yeah I think honestly it helps me creatively and you know maybe I wasn't aware of that but I kind of knew from a young age that I wanted to do graphic design I think I was in like year nine or ten at Mm -hmm. secondary school and I was like I want to do this thing and then I went and did the thing like I was very like driven and motivated and I think the creativity side of me maybe comes from the kind of I don't know neurodivergent mindset maybe um also the ability to be able to hyper like focus in on tasks um 
So like when I draw something for Instagram, like I just, I zone in so much that like time and, <laughs> you know, needing to eat and take a break. Don't, they just don't factor in like I can lose myself in something, which I think that kind of like flow state that like productivity people talk about kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that is also a result of, you know, if there's a goal, I am determined to reach it kind of thing, like finish a drawing or things like that. Um, so, yeah, I think I think creativity and hyper focus are definitely pros. And also like needing the routine and schedule means that I'm mm-hmm. I don't know, I just I am quite good at prioritizing things and knowing what mm-hmm. needs doing and like task management I like to be organized <laughs> yeah <laughs> which I don't think is a bad thing <laughs> no I am a big fan of organization yeah. so I, <laughs> I very much appreciate that <laughs> yeah so yeah I'd say those three things mainly um, mm. I think you know having the hindsight and looking back you know those are the three things that I would say I've really noticed mm. yeah that's that's brilliant um I know we've been talking for a very long time, but <laughs> I would also like to ask, um, kind of related to this, like, because you've worked across like so many different projects, um, I'd really love to know, like, what are some of your kind of highlights of things that you've like been involved Ooh, in? That's a really good question. Um, highlights. I think it was really nice to be contacted by the BBC and being asked to do um like an accessibility um post for their main instagram account as well as um doing stuff for bbc bite size as well around like summer holidays and also about how school can be for sensory people because i think it's so important to you know obviously reach bbc audiences but reach the bite size (laughs) level Mm. of audience as well because you know it's bite size revision like it is a younger audience and I think it's important that you know they might be able to recognize that in their friends if their you know corridors really crowded and busy at school <laughs> like mm-hmm. I'd, I would have loved you know someone to have asked if I was okay kind of thing um so yeah I think working with the BBC was exciting um doing some icons for like Timo and their app and like people can select my little fidget icons to have on their apple watch or their phones to like oh. tick off tasks and stuff so that's, that's cool. cool i didn't know you did that yeah I love that. <laughs> um there's like a like a little hand-drawn section of icons that is just me um oh, brilliant. yeah and what else i was asked to do a talk for the royal college of psychiatrists so that was exciting oh yeah nice. so i did a front cover design for their insight magazine mm-hmm. um and they were like, we're doing like an exhibition launch of all the front covers we've ever had. Like, we'd love for you to come and talk. And they gave me like a microphone and stuff. Oh. And I was like, oh, God. Nice. Uh, and the autistic <laughs> me had it like printed out to, to read off. <laughs> and I, I was like, I've come prepared. Um, <laughs> Classic. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I don't know what you're expecting, but when you asked me to do a speech, I did the thing and I'm here <laughs> with it. Um, yeah. So I think just kind of a range of like also doing like research projects as well with yourself and other universities um and other researchers has been really interesting and also just not limiting myself to one kind of box of like you know 
I only do drawing or I only do yeah. this. Like I like being able to, you know, one minute be talking on a panel or talking to, you know, psychiatrists about yeah. um, kind of being autistic all the way to, you know, interviewing people myself kind of thing. Um, I like being able to dip in and out of different formats. I think I would, I would struggle to just do one thing because mm. it's very hard to get across something in an Instagram post in one square kind of thing mm. <laughs> so I think that's almost why I decided to kind of try out audio and video stuff because mm. there's a, there's you know so many different formats that work for different people um so yeah I'd say those are a few of them and also like being able to illustrate a book um mm. just yeah it's all it's all very like random stuff that I get exciting emails about and I'm like, yeah, I'll do that. <laughs> yeah, is that the um, autism friendly cookbook? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so that was nice. And also just to be like mentioned in other people's books, like um, Dr. Camilla Pang asked me, she was like, can I put you in like the references section of like my children's book? I was like, uh, I'd love that. Yes. So oh, I love yeah, that. so I'm in her, I think it's called Perfectly Weird, Perfectly You. Book. yeah yeah so me and another girl called I think her name is Abigail Balf she's a mm -hmm. illustrator who did um I think it's called a different sort of normal which is like a yeah what you call it graphic novel mm -hmm. um so she put us both like in the references for like people to be like if they want to find out more about autistic mm -hmm. people um so yeah that was nice <laughs> oh I love that that's great so I think I just have one last question for you, which mm -hmm. is just my general closing question that I'm going to ask everybody. Okay. Um, so if you could have one thing changed in the world that would make it a better place for neurodivergent people and well, especially yourself, what would that be? Oh, that's a great question. <laughs> um, <laughs> I would say the sound turned down everywhere. <laughs> just and a volume button just a, a volume button that I could access that would make the outside world quieter like not just in establishments like shops I don't know libraries stuff like that but like just generally a volume button please <laughs> love that love that I'll get that noted and put it in the suggestion box great thank you if you could if you could raise that higher with you know <laughs> I, I will I'll be taking this all the way to the top great um, and making sure that we can make it quieter please yes the world everyone. please thank you <laughs> thank you i i would also very much enjoy that so um i am endorsing it cool <laughs> oh wonderful well thanks so much for joining me today emily it's been wonderful to chat to you as always amazing thanks for having me make sure that you check out emily's socials she's at 21 and sensory on pretty much everything um as well as her podcast and everything will be linked um in the show notes thanks for listening if you enjoyed this episode please follow or subscribe you can also find the show on instagram at neurospicy.podcast <laughs>